Hello and welcome to Crux Investor. We're going to talk in a minute with Mark Chalmers, the CEO of Energy Fuels. They're listed on the TSX and in New York. We are going to ask about their performance last year and their plans for this year. And of course, talk about the state of the uranium market. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good afternoon to you, Matthew. It's morning here in Denver, Colorado. Of course, of course. Thank you for joining us so early. So, Mark, I, I wanted to start uh, off by you know, finding out a little bit about you initially, and then maybe talk us through some of your team so we can understand uh, the people you know behind the business. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, well, firstly, I've been in the uranium business for over forty years. Um, I started in the seventies as a uranium miner, and uh, I worked underground uh, in mines in Colorado. And uh, I loved it so much. Uh, next thing I knew, it was 40-some years later, and I'm still in the business. So um, I'm a mining engineer. Um, I've worked around the world uh, with all types of projects, you know, in the United States, uh, uh, in Southern Africa, in a number of countries, um, in Australia, and Kazakhstan. Um, and so I've really seen the uranium industry from a number of perspectives that a lot of people haven't. Uh, because because I've seen it globally, right? And and so given that experience, that global experience, what have you what have you brought specifically on to do in this company? Well, um, I had worked with a number of these assets at Energy Fuels um, back in in the seventies and the eighties. Um, I've got dual citizenship. I went to Australia for half my career, and um, the CEO of Energy Fuels was a friend of mine. And when he was getting ready to retire, he he asked if I'd come back and, and run these assets with the knowledge of the past and, you know, kind of my, my global perspective. So I saw energy fuels as the best vehicle out there in the world, out of the whole world of uranium. Um, and that's why I came back. Um, I saw Uranium One and the Paladin Energies emerged in that 2005, 6, 7 period as the two darlings uh, during the last upturn. My key focus is, um, you know, driving towards profitability. Uh, a lot of these smaller mining companies never actually achieve a profit. Who are the other kind of key play, active key players rather than advisory? Uh, we have uh, uh, Birch Bovard is our chairman. Mm-hmm. Birch is, um, was an MD of ANZ uh, uh, Canada uh, for a number of years. Uh, we also have Bruce Hansen, who's a mining engineer, but also was the CFO of, of Newmont. Uh, for a number of years, and I, I go back a number of years with, with Bruce. Um, Barb Phyllis uh, was the first woman president of the uh, Society of Mining Engineers uh, in the United States. Uh, actually, I went to school with Barb. Um, and then we have a couple of our major shareholders that have also come on as board members uh, because they have a, a fair amount of skin in the game. Uh, Dennis Higgs, who, who came out through the acquisition uh, of the Uranix uh, merger about uh, three years ago. So uh, we've got a very good board. It, it, it functions well. I've worked at a lot of boards in my career, and, and I find this one um, is, is providing me the support I need as this company is placing itself for the future. Right. You're happy with the board. No new additions required to take the business board. You've, you've got the team you need. In addition to the board, um, we have uh, what I believe is the most experienced um, uh, uranium production uh, team 
uh, out there in the space, particularly here in the United States with Paul Gorenson. Uh, he used to be the president of um, Cameco USA uh, of their assets. Uh, and Dave Friedland, our uh, general counsel and CFO, uh, has been involved in the business for about 30 years. So, um, you know, we, we have a very strong uh, front line uh, with the company. And, and as I said earlier, I've been involved in the business for over 40 years. So, um, and the last thing I want to say about experience is I tell people that I've had the opportunity and pleasure of working with some of the, the greatest entrepreneurs in the uranium business in the world over the course of the 40 some years I've been in the space and I've learned what they do right, but I also learned what they do wrong. And um, I'm uh, very conscious of how we build the company. Well, let's talk about that. So what are the things that you think, you know, the entrepreneurs you've worked with have done right and the things that they've done wrong? What have, what do you, what have you learned to be able to create what you position as U.S.'s number one uranium business? You know, one of them is to buy right. You know, um, you, know you want to, you know, get your, the company needs to be placed, you know, you know early in the cycle, uh, acquire the right assets, good assets. Um, you know, I've seen uh, a number of train wrecks where uh, companies over leverage on debt, uh, don't secure long-term contracts, uh, or get caught in, uh, you know, foreign exchange um, movements or some combination thereof of all those. So, um, but, I, but I think the key thing that I've learned uh, with the entrepreneurs I've worked with is that, um, you know, you've got to be aggressive, um, but you can't be reckless. And and when you start becoming reckless, you start putting your shareholders at risk. So um, I'm very much focused on, on being aggressive, doing smart deals, uh, but at the same time, not over leveraging because it is a very volatile sector. For sure. I mean, a lot of those things you, you could apply to mining in general. Are there anything specific to uranium? I think one of the key things is, is the, um, you know, getting taken on too much debt. Uh, and also uh, with uranium, it's possible to secure long-term contracts when the prices are high enough. I think the combination of those two, uh, you know, le- the, the lessons learned I've, I've had over the decades is, uh, you know, you, you balance both of those. But you certainly don't take on uh, too much debt without uh, enough long-term contracts to sustain the business. Right. Can you set the scene for the viewers about the uranium space, it's it, the, the history of the last sort of 10, 15 years. I mean, how have we got to where we are today? You know, when the, when the, the gun went off in about 2006 or, or seven, price uranium went up very quickly. Um, you know, a lot of people were scrambling to get into production. Um, you know, it takes time in this business um, to, to get into production, to get the permits and and get organized, and um, just about the time the momentum was kind of really starting to kick up, uh, we had Fukushima, and that clobbered uh, the industry. And you know, when you when we have an event like that, uh, that's when you're really glad that you did have long-term contracts for you know five or six or seven years, because you know when the price started to slide, you were in a better position than having to pin it on uh, on the spot market. So I think that. Um, Black Swan events, uh, which have occurred about once every 15, 20 years, take some time to get over. Um, but when you start seeing the market starting to pick up um, and um, the fundamentals starting, um, I'd say do not be afraid of securing long-term contracts when you can actually know you can make a profit off of those contracts. Sometimes the greed factor comes in. People think, well, the price is going to keep going up, 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 and I don't want to commit. 
but it's good to have at least a, um, um, a base load of contracts that will sustain you if the market then turns down for a period of time. Yeah. So you got, you got, you got to, you know where you stand. Yeah, no, I, as I said, a lot depends on your balance sheet and, 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 and what kind of debt you have. I, I think, I think, and you're, you're right. It, it doesn't just pertain to uranium mining. It's all mining, all business. You know, you, 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 you want to keep that balance. You know, you don't, you don't want to go too extreme one way or the other. Yeah. So like, tell me, you use a phrase in your PowerPoint, which is the nu- nuclear energy is growing the fastest it has for the last 25 years. Um, I guess you can work that in, out in a number of ways. What, what did you mean by that? You know, the nuclear industry kind of slowed way down in, um, in the 90s. Um, you know, you've seen this, this uh, growth in nuclear power primarily in China and India, um, places like the United Arab Emirates. Um, you know, they forecast the World Nuclear Association had a forecast, and it's in our presentation, in 2008, uh, and then also one recently about a month ago, so nearly 10 years spread. And uh, in the middle of that, 2011 is when Fukushima happened. And their forecast from today as compared to 10 years ago is actually at a, at a, at a, at a higher rate. It, nuclear is going quicker today than it was before Fukushima in 2008. So, I mean, the growth has been fueled by Asia. Uh, I think it will continue to be fueled by Asia. Clean baseload energy. Uh, particularly in these developing countries that are dependent on a lot of fossil fuels. I mean, they're literally choking themselves to death in China and India. And um, they really have no option other than to go uh, with a higher component of nuclear power. I mean, even if you get to the United States uh, and uh, Europe, uh, if you're concerned about, um, you know, global uh, greenhouse gas emissions, you can't get there without nuclear as baseload. I mean, natural gas has done great things, but it still pollutes. So there's a few, I mean, there's a few countries in Europe, Germany, France, being some high profile ones, which are coming off of nuclear. But you're saying the various fleets around the world, and the, the Chinese market, obviously a grow, growing fleet. The, the net effect is it's destined to, destined to grow. And therefore, for uranium companies, it's, it's all good. The stronger the growth, the better. Um, I wouldn't say it is is dynamic growth right now, but you know it's positive. You know, a percent or two a year. I think that can uh, increase once again. I mean, you know, you that some of the Japanese reactors are coming back online. Uh, France has uh, kind of a, uh, reaffirmed that their nuclear plans are um, at least still going to be pushed out. I mean. You hear a lot of countries talk about, oh, we're getting out of nuclear, and, and, and Germany is phasing out, but really, um, you know, at the detriment of their emissions and the cost of the shareholders. So, um, you know, there there are some countries who will do some funky things that don't make sense. They'll do it for political reasons. But again, as I said earlier, if you're really serious about um, a clean baseload energy, um, you know, you cannot make up all the difference um, uh, without uh, nuclear uh, as a, a key component, not all of it, but a big portion of your your power grid. So let's talk about some of the political components here, because I think investors find it kind of interesting. Well, and there's also there's some, some misconception out there. If you look at the, the U.S. are doing a TTT investigation currently uh, about imports of uranium. Um, I, I guess that's possibly a good thing for you. Well, when when is the result of that due? The Section Two Three Two. 
a petition was filed by our company and another uh, Denver-based company called UR Energy. And we filed that back in January of 2018. It was initiated in July. Uh, right now, uh, the Department of Commerce is scheduled to deliver a report to the president on the 14th of April. So that's less than four weeks off. Uh, we do not know exactly what the recommendation will be. Um, and, and, and just for people's uh, information, Section 232 is a, a law uh, as part of the Trade Act of 1962, uh, which basically gives the President of the United States uh, executive authority to deal uh, with uh, imports of um, uh, goods or materials that um, um, could uh, jeopardize uh, national security for the United States of America. So we filed this petition. Um, under that law, the Section 232. So this report uh, report is being uh, prepared currently by the Department of Commerce. Uh, we feel that this is a, a very solid petition. Uh, we think that the um, the government uh, gets it in terms of the the importance of national security to the United States. And 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 I've got a couple. One quick grab: that the United States consumes one third of the world's uranium. One third. We're the largest consumer by a country mile over any other country, and we're currently producing less than 1% of our requirements. 99% wow. is imported into the United States. About half of those imports come from Russia, um, uh, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, uh, former Soviet Union countries, and, and there's becoming a growing influence with China. So, you know, our petition says that that doesn't make any sense. And uh, we think the average American would say that doesn't make sense. And even anybody outside of uh, America would say the same thing. So um, so that report will go to the president. Uh, the president has a time clock of up to 90 days to either accept the recommendations, whatever they are, change the recommendations or come up with something different. So um, there's a fair amount of um, uh, excitement uh, from U.S. producers, and we're asking for 25% quota, which is 25% of our domestic power requirements are produced in the United States, and also to uh, that there should be an incentive by the U.S. Uh, uh, government to buy American uranium to basically ensure that we have a sustainable industry uh, looking out to the future. Great. Thanks for that. Um, on the political side of things, just help people understand why uranium is classified as a clean fuel. Yeah, no, look, look um, you know, nuclear has always been an emotional issue for people. And I think they associate it with, uh, you know, bombs. And, um, you know, even if you look at the, um, you know, the black swan events that have occurred, uh, you know, at Fukushima, for example, uh, to this day, there has been no deaths from the nuclear reactor. Um, you know, uh, issues that they had. Uh, there were deaths from the tsunami. Uh, there were deaths um, from people being evacuated, but there were no deaths from the reactor. And, and I think all projections that, that I have seen uh, and heard um, that, you know, there may be no deaths or if there are, it will be a, a very limited number. Now, certainly, you know, you don't want to um, you know, you want to learn from these kind of issues like, like Fukushima. Um, and I think we have. I think the whole world has you know, learned that, you know, you, you should have uh, these reactors shouldn't be built so close to sea level. 
Um, and like in the case of Fukushima, the generator should have been higher above so it didn't get swamped by the tsunami. So um, nuclear has a fantastic track record for safety. And, and, and people will dispute that, but that is the facts. You know, you look at some of the different uh, organizations that have um, uh, done post-evaluations uh, of uh, Chernobyl. And Chernobyl was the, the, the biggest issue uh, in the nuclear industry with uh, reactor uh, designs that, that are no longer allowed to operate in the world. But you've got to learn from some of the past mistakes. And, um, and, and nuclear power, you know, does not emit uh, carbon emissions. It's proven as a clean baseload energy. So can I, again, move on to, I mean, you're, you're sitting on a lot of, uh, of inventory at the moment, something like 430,000 pounds. We're building inventory because we think that the price, current pricing of uranium, which is in between, you know, 26, $28 per pound is, is not fair value for a pound of uranium. Where do you think it's going? Well, look at the cost. The, the 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 cost of producing a pound of uranium is is north of fifty dollars per pound, probably fifty sixty dollars a pound. That's what it costs to produce it. The um, the current pricing, uh, a lot of that uh, uranium is because of uh, you know over inventories that that, um, that that some of it slushed up after the Fukushima incident and shut down of the, the Japan reactors, and a lot of the uranium that's come out of some of these state-owned enterprises. Um, so yeah, we have, uh, we're building up our inventory. We, we think that, um, we get relief under section two, three, two, uh, that the price uranium will go up and then that will be something that we can use to, uh, continue our operations. Um, uh, you know, getting hopefully a bounce out of the uranium prices. Yeah. Obviously the, the, that, that decision is, is imminent for you. So you continue to produce. I know you're sitting in a lot of cash, you're continuing to produce and you're continuing to stockpile, as are other uh, uranium producers in, in, a, in a hope of, you know, affecting share price, I guess. Is, is, that, is that also part of the... Yeah, look, look at, um, you know, I think um, there, there aren't many people producing. I mean, I think that uh, really um, there's just a, a couple in the United States that are producing right now. Um, I mean, look at um, Cameco in Saskatchewan in Canada. Uh, they shut down uh, the largest, um, uh, one of the largest, highest grade uranium deposits called MacArthur River in Canada about a year ago. Um, and um, that reduced Canadian production by 50%. Uh, even Cameco is out buying uranium because it's cheaper for them to buy it and sell it into contracts than it is to produce it. And I think. That goes back to what I said, that the true value of producing a pound is much greater than current prices. You know, and even though there's no guarantees on the Section 232, we think there will be uh, some positive relief. Um, And we think that, uh, you know, we would rather hold that uh, inventory and place it um, at a time when the price is higher. I mean, you're sitting on a lot of cash. Are you going out to the spot market and acquiring pounds that way or are you continuing to mine your own? No, we, um, and this goes back to my earlier comments about um, uh, some of my lessons learned in terms of being in this business is uh, having a strong balance sheet and, and making sure you don't run down too much on your, your cash. So, um, you know, that's just a change of philosophy, how we're operating the company right now. Um, you know, not that we ever expect any kind of blunt tra- trauma, but it does happen in this business. So we're, we're trying to keep, uh, you know, keep ourselves really healthy position here. But that those funds also can be used um, 
uh, you know, when the, hopefully when the gun goes off to, to, to be employed and, and help develop the projects that we have uh, currently and ramp them up. Like, so, I guess, so I guess from some of the comments you've made, you, you'd look to sell all of that into the U.S. market. Would that be the case? With the Section 232, you know, we're looking at the, the relief um, being for U.S. Um, uh, producers, you know, selling uh, uranium into the U.S. market. Now, that doesn't mean that we, we won't sell uh, outside the United States. Right. Uh, generally speaking, uh, you don't contract 100% of your production. Uh, usually, it would be a, a reduced percentage on that to have a bit of a contingency and then maybe speculate on, uh, you know, 20, 30% or something of your extra, extra production. You know, we're a global, we'll be producing for the global market, but with Section 232, there'll be a substantial major influence on U.S. production if we get relief. Right. Okay. And, and you see much competition. You, you mentioned earlier that not a lot of people are in production. Um, you've got a lot of, lot of players. Well, I think the market's been sort of decimated in the last 10 years. But do you see any um, production coming into the market which may restrict pricing or is that not a concern for you? Look, I don't think um, anybody that um, is is dealing with uh, the economics of producing uranium is is trying to produce more uranium at this point in time. Um, the one exception, or there's one exception, is the Chinese. The Chinese have a very large project in Namibia mm-hmm. called Husab that they're trying to ramp up. Um, that is not an economic project in this market. The reasons we filed the Section 232, the, the, the state-owned, uh, enterprises. Uh, it's not about economics. It's about uh, producing product. Um, doesn't really matter what the costs are. Um, and so, um, but most others have uh, reduced production, um, uh, you know, globally around the world because the price uranium is too low to justify new production. Excellent. So again, if I'm putting my investor hat on, I'm looking at some of these smaller exploration uh, play uranium plays. Um, I should I should be approaching those with some sense of caution. Is is what I'm hearing. The, the expiration plays are uh, riskier um, because they're early stage. Uh, like in our case, we have um, uh, multiple properties that that are um, permitted, um, constructed, and in some cases operating right now. Um, and paid for, um, you know, when you start a new project and you start going out and trying to look for, you know, financing for those projects, um, there's a lot of technical risks to new projects. One thing people don't understand, fully appreciate, better than 50 to 75% of new projects will fail. That's true of mining. Is that also true, more true in the case of uranium? Look, it, it, you're right. It is true of mining as a whole. I mean, if you look at the statistics of what projects actually fail, um, look, I think it, it's, it's probably uh, higher with uranium um, because I think that the technical aspects of uranium mining, uh, even though they're understood, they're lesser understood than some things like gold and copper. Um, and then you get the kind of the emotional um, uh, issues attached to uranium in the nuclear fuel cycle. I mean, you get you know, certain um, projects in different countries or in Europe, and, and then all of a sudden people can't get their permits for whatever reason. Uh, and a lot of that, I would say, is because of the fact that they're uranium projects. Thank you very much for covering off the uranium component. I know you're a company wearing with many 
opportunities ahead of you, not least of all the vanadium component. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, you're, again, number one producer in the U.S. Um, only producer. Number one only. only. <laughs> number one. <laughs> one and only. Okay. Uh, so I'm guessing, where, where do all your sales go? Look, I always tell people, first and foremost, we're a uranium producer. Now, we're, we, we need higher uranium prices to, to really push the uranium production back up. But we're blessed to have um, these other opportunities like vanadium, um, as a, um, a, a, an opportunity to generate revenue, particularly when grain prices are down. Mm-hmm. Um, our company has a, or at least the assets of the company have a long history producing vanadium. So this is not new. I, when I said I started as a miner, I, I, I was working in uranium vanadium mines um, back in the 70s. So this goes way back in the early days of my career. So the vanadium, um, we... Um, haven't yet announced sales of vanadium. We're looking at a number of different um, uh, potential purchasers um, around mainly the United States, but it can be outside the United States. Um, vanadium uh, had a big run last year, up to nearly $30 per pound. Uh, it's retreated down into the $16, $17 pound range. But we are, uh, it, it very shortly we'll be selling vanadium. We'll be coming to the market with um, you know, with more information on those sales. So, um, but as I said, it's secondary to uranium. Right. So what, what, what portion of the business will the vanadium component represent? Well, I mean, look, the, the uranium uh, component of our um, uh, company is in the order of, you know, 150, 200 million worth of revenue. Um, the vanadium component, when there's higher prices, that's kind of the opportunities you know, 150, 200, 250 million, something like that, uh, depending on prices and production. The vanadium component in some of these other um, businesses we have, like Recycle, uh, it could be, uh, you know, 40, 50, 60 million, maybe a little bit more than that. So, so it's definitely a small, uh, smaller percentage, but it is quite substantial, uh, you know, when we're not producing uh, the uranium. So, um, but, you know, a lot of the other uranium producers would die to have uh, secondary or third tier businesses that would generate, you know, in the order of $50 million. Sure. And, and so, so what's your view on the vanadium price? Obviously, it's about seven times higher, even at today's prices, than it was three years ago. Is there going to be some sort of st- uh, stability to the pricing? Hey, with vanadium, nothing's ever stable. Um, and that's one of the tricky parts of the vanadium business. Um, it is it's, it's, it's a wild ride in the vanadium prices. And so everything we do with, with uh, our vanadium production is geared towards uh, understanding that it is volatile. And um, we think there's some, some, some new fundamentals in the vanadium space that, that didn't exist um, a few years ago. Uh, one of them is these new rebar standards in China, which are putting a big demand on uh, vanadium production in China. Um, the other thing is there's a number of um, uh, highly uh, uh, polluting uh, production sources have been shut down by the Chinese government. Um, so there's been this, this demand and, and supply-demand uh, pinch. Uh, and then emerging is this um, vanadium flow redox batteries are starting to consume more, but even though it's a small percentage at this time. So, so we think there's maybe a new paradigm that some of the low pricing of vanadium um, going forward, um, you know, will be a, a, it'll be a higher level than the past lows. 
but having said that, you know, we still expect it to be very volatile as it has been this last few months. Um, and we plan to produce while the price is high enough to uh, generate um, substantial cash flows for the company. I guess that's an ongoing monitoring process around the economics or optimization and so forth. Yeah, um, we, we are, we've got a couple phases that we're working on. Uh, number one, we, we call it the recovery of an inning from our tailings facility. We call it pond return. That's what we're currently producing from. Um, we, um, it costs us about less than $2 million to start that up. Um, but we can literally stop that by shutting down the pump. So it's, you know, we're not having a lot of exposure there. Yeah. Um, you know, looking, uh, you know, from, a, you know, getting overcommitted in terms of capital. Um, but we're also looking at uh, some uh, improved mining methods at our conventional mines. We're doing some test mining right now uh, at a couple of our mines um, uh, in uh, Utah. So, uh, you know, but again, uh, you know, when I say that I look back on the, my history in this business and successes and failures, um, you know, we're going to try to be smart about how we approach the Canadian market. And I think we are being smart. And it's just give me a sense of sort of the types of, on tailings, for instance, you, a couple of million bucks, it doesn't move the dial much, but what, what would you expect to return on that? We haven't published um, to the market what we think our cost recovery from the, the tailings uh, pond returns are. But uh, we, I can say that we started looking at um, recovering vanadium from the tailings facility when the prices were $12, $13. And we thought we had a, a, a very good margin at that time. So, um, so, you know, right now with prices at 16, 17, you know, we feel it makes uh, good sense to, to keep producing. So, um, but no, we're looking at um, being competitive um, globally, long-term with our vanadium production costs. Um, but, you know, when, if, if you have a drop like uh, a couple of two, three years ago, two, three dollars a pound, uh, very few people could produce at those prices. It sorts out the wheat from the chaff. Um, can I just ask you about one of the other um, investment themes that you talk about, which is the alternative feed materials the land uh, cleanup and also copper recovery. Now, I, I imagine these aren't substantial, you know, contributors to the bottom line, but that nevertheless, they, they're things that you want to talk about. So what are you doing with those? Yeah, look, let's start off with alternate feed. Um, historically, and, and we've been doing this, or the acid's been doing this for like 25 years. Mm. Um, generally, it is between 5 to $15 million a year of revenue. Um, so it's, it's, it's not huge, but it's, it's, it's nice plasma, particularly in the down market. Um, to give you an example, last year we recycled the equivalent of one uh, fuel load for a nuclear reactor. We recycled, and, and we have the facilities and the permits to do that. Uh, a year before last, it was two uh, nuclear reactor uh, fuel loads worth of um, material. So it's, 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 a, it's a great, actually, it's a great service we provide out there that nobody else does. Um, we're looking to expand that. So this five to 15 could be greater than that in time, uh, but that's really, um, and I'll, I'll talk about, so we've got this recycling business, taking low level products and um, in, in, in creating um, clean nuclear fuel um, that we've been doing, um, but we're also looking at expanding that. When we call it the land cleanup, um, there are a number of former uranium mines that need to be reclaimed number of them are on the Navajo Nation. Uh, they were mined during the Cold War in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And the uh, EPA has collected 
about 1.7 billion U.S. dollars in trust to clean up those mines. Um, the White Mesa Mill is located, uh, well, maybe 20 miles from the Navajo Nation border, and we have all the permits required to assist in that cleanup. So, um, you know, even if hypothetically uh, we got uh, 10% of that 1.7 billion or 5% or whatever, you're talking a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. And if you 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 complement that five to fifteen million dollars in ultra feed, you know you look at a nice um, you know secondary or third tier business for us, uh, and doing a good service to the environment, um, to the Navajo Nation, uh, and through that recycle, yeah, um, we're actually able to recover uranium from those low level, uh, low grade ores that that were mined from those those deposits. So. I'm really proud of that part of the business. Um, I think it really um, shows the company's committed to kind of the cradle to grave principles. And, um, and we're the only ones that can do that, um, that I know of in the world, but certainly in the United States. That's, that's impressive. I mean, it, it also helps with the clean credentials. It, it does help with the clean credentials. And, and I like to emphasize that, that, you know, during the cold war, um, the U.S. government would buy uranium from anyone who would sell them the uranium. So, um, you know, a lot of these mines are, 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 are remnants of that period. And um, that was a time when there were no permits required. Um, they weren't required to reclaim. And, and literally, the miners just went out and started digging. I'd be interested in hearing more about that story as it develops, because that's that's potentially a very large business in its own right. Yeah, that's right. And and as I said, it 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 um, you know we're still able to produce uranium, um, you know, while we're, we're we're treating that kind of material. Now we haven't done any of that business yet, but we think we're ideally placed. We have a a, a very small but very high grade copper deposit at our canyon mine. Um, and we've been doing test work to, to determine if we can recover that copper. Uh, test work says we can. Um, it is a small deposit of copper. So we've got to look at the balance between the capital and operating costs um, and perhaps getting some new permits to, to actually retrofit the mill uh, to recover that copper. So now again, this is just another option that we're working on and not completely clear at this moment uh, how we go forward with the copper. So, you know, it would be the lowest priority after vanadium, after the alternate feed and land cleanup, but it still is an option that we're evaluating. Um, tell me about the financial position of the company in terms of you know cash, shares, shareholders, etc. So um, you know we have um, you know in the order or north of fifty million U.S. in cash, cash equivalents or inventories. Um, you know as I said earlier, we plan to keep that strong position. We have about. Um, uh, $16 million of debt, uh, it's convertible debt that matures at the end of 2020. We're currently uh, considering how we best address that debt uh, with a market cap of around $300 million. Uh, the $16 million we think we can easily uh, handle in different ways. Uh, we have about uh, 91, 92 million shares uh, on issue. Um, our share price uh, as of today is around uh, 325 to 330 uh, US per share. Um, we were um, the best producing uh, uranium stock uh, in the world, in our peer group. And this was kind of not the Cameco's, but, but between companies that were 50 million uh, market cap to say six or 700 million, uh, we were the best performer last year. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we made the Russell uh, um, 3000. Uh, we made that in mid middle of last year. That uh, increased our liquidity by three, four fold. Um, that also allowed a number of other um, uh, larger funds to come in and invest in the company. So um, we made a lot of progress last year. It was a very uh, important year for us. And all I can say is I'm a competitive person. I, I plan to do it again this year and next year. I want this company to be the darling investment. I want it to be the emerging uh, equivalent of the uranium ones or the paladins, but I also want to position it uh, to where it is sustainable. And it is my goal to pay a dividend. Uh, you never hear any of these companies talking about dividends, but that is my goal to pay a dividend uh, as a small uranium producer uh, going forward. Based on that, you think there's enough value in the shares of this company for new investors to come in and make money on the up. Is it entirely predicated on the price of uranium rising, or do you think that there's there's other value that you can you can create even if that doesn't um, happen? Yeah, look, no, there's absolutely large upside, huge upside. Section two three two. I tell people don't buy the company just on that sort of uh, you know that kind of hype that's building around that right now. Buy the company on the fundamentals. The global demand for uranium is increasing. Mm-hmm. The price uranium has to go up on its own without Section 232 relief. It has to go up because otherwise the industry will not be sustainable. Um, and I think that will happen on its own without section in, in a few years, a year or two or three. So buy the company on the fundamentals. When I work for, uh, well, I work for Paladin Energy and um, their share price, and I'm not saying this will repeat itself, they went from less than a penny to $11 per share. Now, that was remarkable, and um, they uh, unfortunately got caught after Fukushima with debt and no long-term contracts, and they went into administration. Um, that was, again, unfortunate. So, um, and I'm not saying we're going to go up like, like – uh, a Paladin Energy um, that was so very, very unique and, and the, the timing of that and the position of that. Um, but this company, I believe, is going to be a multiple bagger. You know, I'm focused on making this company, the, you know, a, a billion dollar plus company. And that gives plenty of opportunity for people to come in and capitalize on that with improved uranium prices. Now, having said that, I mentioned these other businesses we have. I look at those as kind of insurance policies. They provide us revenue. This company will not go to zero because of the fact we have these other businesses that um, we will develop, um, you know, sort of multitask and develop these to the extent possible, uh, you know, with or without the price of uranium price or without higher uranium prices. That's great. Can you give me five reasons for investors to believe in the growth and success of uh, your company. All right. Number one, we have more properties ready to go. Three fully production, uh, permitted and operable production centers than anyone out there in the market. We're the only company that has Canadian production. And, um, and we're, we're looking at expanding that um, uh, over the next few years. But again, secondary to uranium, uh, we've got um, these other businesses that we have, the alternate feed and the cleanup. 
and we have a very strong balance sheet. Uh, we're well positioned, we're ready to go, and we've got a management team that is most experienced in the sector in the United States, and I'm committed to make this a real success story and the darling going forward. So uh, if you're interested in uranium, you need some energy fuels in your portfolio. Perfect. Thank you. I want to ask you to give yourself a report card for last year. You've talked about where you want to go. How well did you think you did last year and what would you have done differently? You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we did last year. And I think we're really on the radar screen um, globally on what, what we did last year um, with our share appreciation, how we position the company, how we strengthen the balance sheet. Um, so I give myself high marks. Now I'm not, I, I'm one that if, if I thought that I should give myself a, a, a negative, I would do that. Um, so I think it's just, I want it to, to be just an indicator of how we're going to go forward in the future, do smart, um, smart things, not dumb things, uh, and, uh, just watch this space. So I'm very confident what we're doing. I'm having the time of my life. Uh, because I'm able to apply um, both my passion uh, and my experience uh, to the best position asset in the world in this space. That's great, Mark. Thanks very much for your time. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to tell us about energy fuels. And we look forward to hearing more soon. Thank you very much, Matthew. Cheers. Thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you want to see more insightful, in-depth, honest and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button. So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.